The king can do as he likes. The mad king did as he liked. Has your uncle Jamie ever told you what happened to him? No one threatens his grace in the presence of the king's guard. I'm not threatening the king, sir. I am educating my nephew. Bronn, the next time Sir Merwin speaks, kill him. That was a threat. See the difference? Hey everybody and welcome to our podcast. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan, wielder of the axe Charlene, the cherry red Stratocaster. <laughs> and I'm Lady Kristen of House McWuggleburgino, ruler of caffeine and whiskey, arch enemy of peace and quiet. <laughs> yes. This metal. And this is Game of Microphones, episode 56. On this episode of our series, Rewatch, we are covering Game of Thrones Season 2, Episode 4, Garden of Bones. And just for anybody who is not already aware, this is a spoiler-filled podcast, so we are covering the series in a rewatch from the perspective of someone who's current on the show, which means that you've seen up through Season 7, Episode 7. So this is your spoiler warning, people. Warning. Spoilers. It's like from Scooby-Doo. I'll have to sample that and use that. So let's jump into our top five highlights of Game of Thrones Season 2, Episode 4, Garden of Bones. You want to start? Sure. All right. Um. So... I have got, I was saying earlier that I have um, lots of notes about today's uh, episode, tonight's episode, this week's episode, um, and kind of a shaky, fluid top five. So um, it's not going to go in any particular order. It's just kind of be like kind of how I'm feeling the conversation is going. It's going to be an adventure. Um, That's awesome. It's going going to be a choose your own adventure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I think I'll start from the beginning. Um, and that is with Rob Stark. Um, so we open on this show and, you know, it's of these, um, these Lannister fighters who are, you know, kind of jockeying back and forth and teasing each other about, you know, the different Kings and, um, and whatnot. And all it's of a really sudden, funny. You know, they hear something. <laughs> what do they hear? It's gray wind, right? Yeah. And um and yeah, that was really funny. My fa- one of my favorite lines is when uh, he's like, um, "Loras has been stabbing uh, Renly for you know a couple of years now, or over and over, and you know he's still alive. So how good is he?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that, that written down too. It was the best. Um, but you know, a lot of th- this kind of this thought process actually um, started this morning when I was looking at our listener feedback and somebody had mentioned uh, wanting to see Rob more um, of a fighter. Right. Um, You know, it would have been cool to see him fighting more. And I thought about 
Rob as a fighter. And what was interesting to me was that he didn't fight a lot. I mean, it was talked about, but he was either in his tents or he was being a strategist or he was sitting on his horse. Um, you know, he has very little blood spatter on him after this particular battle. Um, you know, and I thought about his, you know, relative and kind of counterpart through this whole series. We like to do a lot of comparisons of uh, Robin John. John Snow. And John <laughs> is exactly the opposite, right? I mean, he he leads by doing. You know, he, he's yeah, he does. first one on the battlefield and he's first one willing to die. And, and that's his leadership style. And we know what a hard warrior he is at this point. And I just don't think that there's really like, you know, when you see we never really got to see Rob fight and we never got to see if he was in fact a warrior. We saw that he had a brilliant mind for war, but he was still a little kid. Um, you know, and you see that kind of in the beginning of when we meet Talisa, um, after the battle and he, he's so driven by revenge that he doesn't even have a plan for what happens when he wins this thing. Right. That's crazy. I, that really hit me when, uh, during this rewatch, when Talisa said that, like you're, you want to just kill this King and overthrow a kingdom, but you don't have a plan for after it. Like, what are you thinking, man? And he's letting everybody call him your grace. And he has no interest in being a King. He just wants to be, left alone and it's like okay well if you want to be left alone then you should stay in the north and if they come and fight you that's where you should fight them is in the north but now you're on their turf so if you're on their it just the whole thing it was just really strange um you know how how he um has no like broader scope of what he's doing how he explains his yeah his his goals here (laughs) We just know Joffrey has to die. That's all we know. Right. That's it. Jo- Joffrey has to die. He's first on my list and he's first on my sister's list. So. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. So he says to uh, Roose Bolton, he says he won't give Joffrey an excuse to abuse his sisters. Right. Um, saying that he doesn't want to um, torture prisoners right, right. he's one torture and yeah, kill because them. Bruce Bolton here is just horrible and he's talking about you know obviously his sigil is the flayed man he's got like an upside down man flayed on an X X shaped no uh, things yeah exactly so he says a naked man has few secrets a flayed man none well, and that guy's so scary. Uh, yeah he's just he's right up there with the uh, ironborn in terms of just like horrible people <laughs> yeah know? I maybe worse yeah Bolton's um, in the ironborn <laughs> But but when he says that, I, I thought to myself, this was a late note for me as well, was that if you don't, you're you're giving Joffrey an excuse to abuse your sisters when you go into battle. I mean, you're killing right. Lannister <laughs> people right and left. You, you think that Joffrey is just sitting on his throne, like wringing his hands? Yeah, seriously. Yeah, like you said, they're killing Lannister soldiers left and right. It's a five to one death ratio, according to Roose Bolton here. So that's going to piss off Joffrey, too. He can start sending pieces of Sansa in a box for all we know. You know what I mean? Right. Like like, like right. Ramsay does with Theon. So, so yeah, I know. So with, um, so with Rob, it's funny because, you know, you see, you want to love him so much, especially because he's a Stark and he fights with honor and he's trying to right a massive wrong. And he's gallant. 
but he has no vision at right. the same time. And, um, it's just, it's an interesting, um, I don't know. It's just an interesting concept to kind of take in when you're on multiple watches with mm-hmm. the show. Interestingly, also, um, comparing Rob with John, Rob ends up falling in love with Talisa and it compromises his whole battle strategy and ruins his entire plan because of it. Right. Because mm-hmm. he chooses Talisa over uh, the mission. John ends up falling in love with with Igrit, but he ends up choosing the mission over Igrit and abandoning the wildlings and fulfilling his duty as a night's watchman. So that's another way that they sort of branch off in separate ways from each other. That's a nice point. Yeah, they're both kind of like um, like seduced by romance at some point, but even eventually react differently and end up having different. Um, levels of commitment to their individual duties you know Mm-hmm. absolutely totally yeah it's pretty interesting i just thought of that i like that i like it when you have the uh the the big aha moments like mid podcast yeah yeah those are always the best <laughs> yeah. you realize something really cool in mid conversation you're like wait a minute i'm just thinking about this right now and it's brilliant so everybody shut up <laughs> <laughs> talisa's cool character too. her intro um the way that she'll she's telling Rob like how it is, um, no holds barred, being honest to him. Uh, whereas you know, largely people in power like this are surrounded by yes men, mm-hmm. and I'm um, sure he is to some extent as well. I mean, at first the great John stood up to him, but I think everybody's pretty much fallen in line with him um, at this point. Maybe, maybe not. Actually, there was some contention recently at in, in the camp, I think. But uh, Greywind took care of that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. He took care of that. Um, but yeah, Talisa is just like, you know, I, I, I stupidly didn't write down a lot of what she said, and I'm forgetting. I thought I would be able to remember it. But um, she's pointing out that this kid, you know, is fights for the Lannisters, but he did nothing to do with this with Rob's father's death. He and, was a fisherman's son. Do you think right. he's friends with Joffrey? Do you think that, yeah. He probably never held a spear before just a couple months ago um, mm-hmm. <laughs> when he was scooped up to be in the army. And is it's there's a couple of really cool moments between them where he's like, "Well, he was lucky you're here," you know, and she's like, Ch-. "She was un- <laughs> he was unlucky you were." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool things like that. So he respects her because she isn't just a pushover, and uh, well, she stood up to Roos too. Stood up to Roos, and he's just watching her as she's totally just cutting off that dude's leg, and he's like, "Wow, she is a badass." That sawing sound was rough. Yeah. Oh man. It's yeah. And then no like painkillers or anything. It didn't it didn't seem like she had a big jug of milk of the poppy that she was carrying around or anything like that. Did you notice anything like that? No, but he just has him bite the Rob's, rag. Rob Stark was really nice and he shoved a dirty rag in his mouth. So you know he <laughs> It'd be better than biting your help. tongue. Yeah, that was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. So that was my number five, yeah. Yeah, and I I was looking through the uh, the Patreon rewatch earlier, and I saw that Avellino um, mentioned that seeing Rob and Talisa in this scene was painful, knowing what happens coming up. So I'd have to agree oh, with yeah. that. You know, <laughs> this is not going to end well. I agree. Yeah. I agree, and sh- I really liked her too as a character. Yeah, me too. 
So that, that was actually my number five, too, is the intro scene and um, the whole Rob's Grey Wind ambush in the aftermath. Um, so, yeah, I think we covered that pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. You want to well, go to your number four? Do you want to go to your number four since you didn't get to introduce anything? <laughs> yeah. I can go to my number. <laughs> I, I'm feeling left out. Fine, I'll, I'll, I'll go with mine. Okay. <laughs> so my number four is the Shadow Baby and um, Stannis and Melisandre's ideological contradictions. So um, just to you know set the scene, figure out what's going on here. Stannis and Renly meet to treat, right? And things are not going well. Um, Stannis is basically saying, "Hey, you know the kingdom is mine by right." And Renly's like, wait, you got no friends, you got no friends, you got no power, you know, um, nobody respects you, Idiot. nobody thinks you're a king, <laughs> yeah, total, total jerk. And Stannis is even like, listen, it's mine by right, I'll make you my heir, um, just stand down and stop being a dick or I'll destroy you. Um, so <laughs> there's... I, I love the modern day conversation that they're having right now. <laughs> yeah, 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 I thought it'd be fun to, to improvise that. You're a dick. No, you're a dick. No, you're a dick, bro. What does mine you're say? You're a dick, Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. G. So um, then it cuts to, we're on Stannis' ship later, and he's talking with Davos, and they're talking about his knuckle bones, and um, I love, like, anything relating to Davos' knuckle bones is, is gold. You know, gold <laughs> material, right? So he's, he's asking him if his knuckle bones bring him luck, and he's like, God, just... Weirds me out that you wear them around your neck, dude. <laughs> and Davos is like, oh, you know, it reminds me of uh, where I came from and where I am now. And and uh, reminds me of your justice. And like, and, you know, and he's like, well, what good is it? Has it resulted in? And he's like, I have four less fingernails to uh, to clean, you know? Fewer. Exactly. <laughs> fewer, fewer fingernails. Um, and uh, yeah, I just I love, love Stannis, the grammar Nazi, the menace. He's so good. It's the manis. Yeah, the manis. You've heard that before, right? Oh, yes. Okay. In my uh, home, many times. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah, man, he cracks me up. It, it also just blows my mind that S Stephen Delane, the actor, um, didn't really know what was going on and <laughs> had no idea if he was playing the character right. I, I don't know how that happens, and he has regrets about the way he did it and everything, but I think that he nailed it. Like, this is Stannis, man. Like, he's the perfect Stannis. Abs and you know what? Stannis, and as a character, Stannis didn't care what was going on around him anyway. Doesn't give a fuck, and, and it's perfectly illustrated in these scenes, too, because he's He's so stoic and rigid and standing there with his, you know, back totally straight and his just gaze fixed on something in the distance and just never wavering, never like looking away. It's just like he's just singular in his in his ambition and in his posture. And it, his, it's Stannis, you know what I mean? Like he, he just nailed the Stannis role. So I hopefully he someday realizes that he did a great job and he doesn't he's not so hard on himself. <laughs> Uh, he needs to go to a couple cons. Yeah, he'll feel he'll feel a lot better about himself. Yeah, definitely. That's hilarious. Um, so he he's talking with Davos, and you know he mentions after they're talking about the knuckle bones, um, you know that a good act doesn't does not wash out the bad. 
and not the bad, the good, right? So, you know, mm-hmm. just because you're, you've done some bad things, that, that doesn't cancel out all the good stuff you've done. And, you know, if you're a horrible person, it, doing some good stuff doesn't balance all that out or cancel all that out either. So, you know, people can be good and bad simultaneously and be commended and punished for for whatever their deeds are, good or bad, or both, right? Mm -hmm. He raised Davos from a smuggler to a lord and simultaneously cut half his hand off, (laughs) which is hilarious. And a really interesting way of uh, looking at things. So then Davos is in the boat with um, Melisandre, and he... You know, after he agrees to smuggle her to shore, when Stannis is like, "You still remember your smuggling ways?" <laughs> great mm-hmm. little, great little conversation. And she asks Davos, "Are you a good man, Davos?" And he's like, "You know, I got mixed parts, bitch. I'm, I'm good. I'm bad. I'm, a, you know, I'm the Onion Knight." And she, and she's I love the Onion Knight. <laughs> yes, and she's like, "Hey, uh, well, an onion. If have half an onion is black with rot." It's a rotten onion, you know. A man is good or he is evil. And so you can tell that there's a disconnect early on between Melisandre and Stannis, um, between their different points of view here, whereas Stannis believes in gray and Melisandre is just black and white, you know. And they're like they're they're not really compatible ideologies. Um, and I think it sort of hints at the future disconnect between the two where, at, where you know, they and it ends up being a failure, their combination, um, which is pretty, pretty interesting. Um, I just sort of thought of that right now, too. Um, were you going to say something? No, I, I was um, I was just thinking about you saying that Stannis believed in gray Um Maybe just with Davos, but I think other than that, he's pretty black and white. Yeah, it's true. Um, you know, just with how rigid he is. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't know about that. I, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. The, <laughs> I really don't. I mean, I think I know, that it's they, so confusing now that you say that. Well, I know, um, because I think that Davos believes in gray, you know, For sure. Davos believes in nuance. Absolutely. And and he all he knows is the people that he serves. And he knows, you know, right now it's Stannis and that's his king and that's his God, as he said in right. an earlier episode. It's wild. But, you know, he's able to change his his scope. And, you know, he he hates everything that Melisandre um, stands for. But he loves but, everything that Stannis stands for. So they can't stand for the same thing. Right. 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 Oh, well, yes, absolutely. Well, he doesn't like the sorcery and the magic behind all of it until he needed it. Right. He Davos, needed it right, for to, John. For John. Yeah. Right. So he's like, listen, I hate you. You hate me, but we got an issue and I need you to see if you can solve it. <laughs> yeah. It's you worth know? a shot, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Hail Mary. But, you know, going going back to, to Stannis, you know, I think a lot of his downfall is the fact that he believed so hard in this prophecy of him being the prince that was promised and um, Azor Ahai and um, having Lightbringer. And and he just felt so entitled to everything as a result, you know, like he yeah. drank the Kool-Aid so deep. So hard. Um, that he was, even he couldn't yeah. even have a simple conversation with his brother. Yeah, he was out killing Sharon Tate, right? Yeah. Mm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Melisandre is Manson in this story. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> they both start with M. You know I'm onto something. Yes. I, you know, I think that that was George R.R. R. Martin's original idea for the Melisandre character. Melisandre Manson. Manson. Manson Sandra. Yeah. I'm sure uh, I'm sure one of our listeners will have an opinion on that. <laughs> sure. I'm sure uh, Sir Pete of Longwood. Yeah. <laughs> sure. We'll get a nice little story on that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because one of my points was also um, that I called it the Baratheon showdown. Oh, nice. Um, but going back to what you were talking about with the shadow baby, I love that line with Davos when he said, you know, the Lord of Light only wants you to work in the shadows. Right. And uh, Melisandre's like, shadows cannot live in the dark, Sir Davos. They are the servants of light. Light creates shadows. Yeah. So, I, yeah, it's bugged out. I really, really liked that that little exchange right there. But you could you look at it differently, too, that darkness is the absence of light. Yeah. You know, you don't, mm-hmm. you don't need light. Like shadows are only a small segment of darkness. They're just a little piece of, of the darkness that can still manage to creep through while there's light. But mm-hmm. the true darkness is the absence of light. Mm-hmm. Interesting. This is a crazy scene, <laughs> you know, and she's, she's so confident in herself too. She's like, I am a, you know, she's like, I'm good, you know, like almost taken aback by the question I'm a champion of life and light. A knight myself of sorts. Well, she drank her own Kool-Aid as well. Yeah. Definitely she did. But she also... She's also getting payoff for what she believes in. I mean, she has Shadow Baby. (laughs) Shadow Baby. Yeah, freaking (laughs) Shadow Baby. With the face of Stannis, which we don't get to see uh, in this episode. How crazy is that, too? Um, I love the moment where... um, This is great. Davos, like, finds the bars, and he's like, oh, these these bars are new. They're going to block our passage. And you can see Melisandre stripping in the background. Mm -hmm. And she's like, they can't bar our passage. And she turns around just like Buffalo Bill and (laughs) Silence of the Lambs and the thing draping behind her. Great reference. (laughs) It's all I could see. It's Buffalo Bill. (laughs) He puts a fucking lotion in the basket. What what was the song that was playing in the background with that? Goodbye Horses by Q Lazarus. Yep, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Should we do that as our intro? Yes, absolutely. You read my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah. I think Davos's reaction to watching the birth and watching the shadow baby come out of her is pretty much collectively what everybody was doing. The way that Davos was reacting to Melisandre is the way everybody reacted to watching Buffalo Bill turn around in that same moment. Yeah, right, exactly. exactly. Hilarious. <laughs> I'm going to make it a side-by-side side picture of the two. <laughs> <laughs> I started doing it already. Oh, I man. believe it. It's so funny. Yeah, that total, like, Buffalo Bill tucked back vibe. I was just laughing hysterically watching it today when I made that connection. She's got the same posture. And Davos, like, freaks out. He sees that pregnant belly, and he's just like, gods protect us. Like, what the Mm -hmm. hell is going on? She was totally, like, skinny yesterday or even, like, 20 minutes ago, probably. And uh, he, he, a really great performance by uh, Liam Cunningham here as like he, his face contorts and he like leans against the wall and like drops again, drops to the ground and like a sort of staggering, like, 
like discombobulated sort of way. Yeah, so that's what I was talking about. The, yeah, the <laughs> clinging the wall and that and the horrified face. Okay. Like, yeah, right? Isn't that great? That right there. He very very well well lead. That's not even a word. Very oh, excellently. Gosh, no words <laughs> Majestically. Yes. He just did <laughs> it very so did it very perfect. well. He <laughs> you know, he depicted exactly i think what my feelings were in an outward manner yeah as instead of you know like instead of placenta or water breaking you get like this gaseous burst of black mist that comes out and like disperses throughout the air and you can just see the horror on his face as he's like what the fuck is happening and these like gnarly like clawing fingers come out and grab her legs as the shadow demon wrenches itself from her womb like how insane is that? When she never looked like she was in any pain. She looked like it was just the best experience of her life. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's crazy, man. Yeah. Shadow babies. This is also this moment of the series. It's like we got the birth of the dragons last season, right? And mm-hmm. we've had a little bit of warging. This is the first time we see some like fucked up like magic shit happen. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. This is like Sorcery. this is like one of the transitions into the bizarre, you could say, where everything is kind of going along normally and then all of a sudden there's a freaking shadow demon, mist like black smoke monster that's in the shape of a human. Just it caught me off guard as a watcher. I was not expecting that to see uh, to see that for the first time experiencing the story. So yeah, it's kind of a significant moment for like the way that the story transitions from being based in like uh, medieval sort of reality to transitioning into like the typical like more like um, high fantasy, fantasy climate um, or environment. You know what I mean? So this is like a yes. big moment for that transition, which is wild to experience. <laughs> I agree. I a hundred percent agree. It was, um, yeah, it was, it, it was definitely one of those moments where, you know, if somebody were to create like a top 10 list of OMG moments on game of Thrones, right. like this would make, this, this would crack the top five. Yeah, yeah. Definitely crack the top 10. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> wow. There's so many moments in this series. It's crazy. That'd be a fun thing to do. Okay, right now, just spur the moment, what are your top five most shocking moments for the entire series? Just right now? Right now. Okay. Um, well, Shadow Baby, but shocking. Well, okay. For the series or for the books? The the series, because we don't want to spoil people on the books. Well, the only reason why I say the series or the books is because the Red Wedding was shocking. Um... So the red wedding, the red wedding for me was shocking when I first read the book. So I felt like I knew what was coming when I watched the show. Does oh, that make okay. sense? Yeah, yeah. But we can we can take events from both, but only ones that apply to the show. Okay. So so the red wedding is up there. Um, Ned's death is another one. Mm-hmm. Um, shadow baby. Shadow baby. Um, probably when. Um, when the mountain killed Oberyn Martell. Yep, that's on my top five. Um, the breastfeeding. <laughs> <laughs> you keep coming back to that. It cracks me up. Because it's awful. Um, 
another one would probably be hard home watching um watching all of those um whites mm-hmm. spill over the mountain um right when they think that they've like created oh, yeah. like some sort of a win at hard home like they finally fought through a lot of it and then they look up and they see that the white walkers are all up there and then all of a sudden they just start all cascading down yeah and then and it's quiet I, for a couple seconds and they start like building I, back up <laughs> well i remember in that moment i was all by myself and um and I just sat there with my hands on my face and I just remember uttering without even thinking about it. I just spoke out loud. This is unwinnable. <laughs> nice. Like, I just did not understand. So that was really shocking to me. That whole sequence. Um, absolutely. So what about you? Mine top five would be birth of the dragons, birth of the mm. shadow baby. Oberyn Martell crushing the red viper's head, or uh, the mountain crushing the viper's head. Lysa being pushed through the moon door. Oh, yes. Um, And I don't know, I can't think of a fifth one right now. I guess Ned's Ned's death is just totally, like, earth-shattering. So when I read it, I thought I skipped a page. When you read what? Ned's death? When I read Ned's death, I thought oh, I right, skipped a right. page. right, right. I think you talked about that recently. That's so <laughs> yeah. funny. You're like, what What just happened? And your husband was in the room also, yeah. right? And yeah, yeah, yeah. I had never been so convinced that there was a glitch in my nook. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, oh, I know what you just read. Yep, it happened. And he goes, no, no, that's what actually happened. I'll never forget it. I'll never, ever, ever forget it. You know what another shocking moment is that wasn't in the books, but, you know, it is in the show because mm-hmm. it's recent, was when that white came at Cersei. Yes. Oh, that was great. Yeah, that was awesome. I liked, We could probably do a whole episode just on this. Yeah, we should. Um, and I think, that, you know, normal episodes might not be necessarily the right place to do something like this, but this is a rewatch, right? So we want to be able to yeah. talk about the whole series. So we might mm-hmm. as well have spare the moment little lists and stuff like this to... Uh, to think about. I also liked when the mountain smacked, smashed that guy's head against the wall. That was, was awesome. You know what I mean? He was talking about. When he was oh, peeing, like, right? Yeah, yeah. Cersei, yeah. like, saw my big, you know, my big dick or whatever and licked her lips and d- during the shame walk. And mm-hmm. you would, you can believe me. You all know I wouldn't lie to you. Because <laughs> like, I've got such a long cock. Yeah. And you're like, wow, dude. Yeah, yeah. Tone it down. Oh, Barristan didn't sell me when he died. That was oh, shocking. Yeah, that was pretty brutal. Shocking. Mm-hmm. Lots of good shocking moments. Best show on television. Oh yeah. Um, so I think that pretty much wraps up my number five. Is uh, or number four? Sorry. Yeah, the Bill, the Buffalo Bill, tuck back vibe, and um, you know, <laughs> trying to determine whether or not an onion is rotten, basically. Right. This is a good, good little tangent. Um, <laughs> well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna piggyback on that just a little bit just because you know as i said um one of my points that i'm going to bring now to my number four is the baratheon showdown um you know renly renly cracks me up because he's always (laughs) wearing that stupid crown oh yeah like dude you're just you think that you're a king because you just put this weird crown on your head not not digging the crown huh following you all the time well it's just like he's like i'm the king because i put a crown on my head that's basically his decision making process yeah totally um you know and he says something really interesting to to stannis he's like you know you never wanted any friends um 
And you don't understand that if you don't have any friends, you don't get any power or something like that. Yeah. And it struck me that he thinks being king is just like this popularity contest. When when you look at Joffrey, who is the sitting king on the Iron Throne right now, has no friends and all the power. Everybody's fucking scared of this guy. You know, he just walks around with his crossbow and his belt and, you know, basically tells people, you know, I just don't think Renly understands what is happening right now. Yeah. Well, um, either either that or he's thinking about it from a different perspective, right? Because there's two ways you can obtain a throne. You can obtain it by right, um, like by being an heir, or the way his brother did it, which was by conquest. So he would not be the first male in his family to win the throne via this this particular method of conquest. No, and I agree with you on that. And I just I don't think that it serves anybody any purpose to have you know these two brothers fighting against each other when really what they're trying to do is get the right family in the back on the throne. throne. Right. Yeah, I agree. They're they're, um, they're both being so selfish here, especially Renly, that they can't just accomplish what needs to be done and oust these Lannis, these gold-haired bastards. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and it's just, you know, Renly's not preparing for war ever. He's having jousting tournaments and he can't, you know, seem to figure out how to effectively make a baby with his wife. (laughs) It's because he's always stabbing. uh, (laughs) He's (laughs) stabbing Loris Tyrell, Um, you know, which is fine. Um, But Mm -hmm. it's just he's so busy playing king that he doesn't ever do anything about it you know and as a result we're gonna see later that his his reign is about to end very abruptly yeah. you know and he doesn't really get to fight any battles as a result um but what was i gonna say oh um so catlin or stannis asks catlin a very good question that is never answered in this episode and it's your husband sent me a letter telling right. me that I am the king because of this farce that's been happening in King's Landing. Why are you here with Renly? And she totally does not. Yeah. She just like uh, skirts around that. <laughs> you know, she does not give a direct answer at all. He's totally right. Like, well, we have a common enemy <clears throat> and it's like, no, right now you guys are looking at each other and you want to kill each other. Like both of you just, you know, Let's let's figure this part out later. Uh, yeah, it's so frustrating. Just the story could have gone a completely different way. There's got to be a historical precedent for this that George R. R. Martin is working from here. Do you know of anything like brothers vying for a throne? Mm. There's got to be something, right? We'll have to look into that. Yeah, that would be an interesting research project. Yeah. I'm going to do that later tonight for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there might be an edit right here. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um Yeah, so that was um that was a lot of what my Baratheon showdown kind of was was you know, the whole thing was super frustrating in the fact that you never get an answer from Catelyn about why she's with Renly other than she was told to go to Renly by Rob. Um, so now there she is. Um, and then, oh, and then um, uh, Melisandre at the very end of 
that little meeting on the hill that they had, uh, she looks directly at Renly and she's like, the night is dark and full of terrors. You know, you better, you, yeah. you should take take notice of that, buddy. Like she directly threatens him. And he kind of looks freaked out too. Yeah, he kind of look, looks spooked by that a little bit. Well, with good reason. <laughs> yeah, she's pretty scary. <laughs> She looked beautiful in that shot, did she not? Yeah, the, the red of the, the red. cloak and yeah. Mm-hmm. It was pretty, very, uh, very striking. Pretty, I was going to say the same beautiful. thing, striking. Uh, yeah, wild. Oh, how about the peach? The absence of the peach. What? <laughs> Remember in the books, Renly pulls out a peach and offers a peach to Stannis and... Um, says that you know he's so focused on um like war and everything that he can't just like he can never he's his whole life he's never just been able to enjoy a peach or you know like sit down and smell the roses for a minute Um, oh interesting and this was left out of the show and i don't want to get too much in the book so i'll post a video on the game of Thrones, a game of microphones uh facebook page for anybody who's interested but uh george rr martin comments on this um, interaction between Stannis and Renly and the peach, and he wishes that it had been in the show because he thought it was important for Stannis's character. Um, there's an important moment later on in the series reflecting on it, but I'll, I'll post that in the on the Game of Microphones page for people to watch because it's pretty interesting, and I think you'll get a kick out of it. Oh, good. Yeah, I want to watch it. Yeah. I definitely want to watch it. Is that wrap up here, right. number four? Uh, yeah, that, was, that wraps up four for me. All right. So my number three, since we've sort of switched orders here. I know. You like how I did that? <laughs> yeah. Turd. <laughs> um, <laughs> so my number three is Tyrion and Lancel and just Tyrion making moves in general. And I know That's this has to be on three. your list too, right? So we can combine for this. Yay! <laughs> so uh, Lancel visits Tyrion. And Lancel is acting cocky, man. He's acting real cocky, you know? Like, he's enjoying this position of power. (laughs) Yeah. He he gets, you know, his position of power, and he gets access, you know, unrestricted access to the queen, you could say. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So um, he has no idea what's coming for him. It's hilarious. So Tyrion is like, oh, well, you've delivered a message for my sister. That's It's interesting you've waited so long to deliver this message, implying that he must have been given this message earlier in the day because it's the hour of the wolf currently. Well, yeah, he catches like, her. He, he caught him in a trap. Right. So he gets him to admit that he was just with the queen at this hour. <laughs> and he's like, Cersei must have great trust in you, allowing you into a chamber during the hour of the wolf. And his look on his face where he's just like, you're busted. And Lancel's just like, oh, <laughs> fuck, he's on to me. I'm trapped. <laughs> I love Tyrion it. is a master at this type of shit. Um, he's, it's just... So much fun to watch, and he has these great <laughs> the, both of their the, both of the looks on their faces at this moment is just priceless. Tyrion's like, "Ha, I have you!" And Dinklage just has the greatest expression on his face. And Lancel, the actor, like this is one of the the, the like the few questionable casting um, choices that they've made for this series, in my opinion, is the casting mm. of Lancel here. 
because he just, I mean, he seems like almost too puny and pathetic to be a Lannister at all. You know what I mean? But I mean, he's kind of described that way in the books, so it it fits. But it just uh, he's just so puny and, <laughs> and pathetic. Yeah, but when he goes over the Faith Militant, he beefs up. Yeah, he yeah yeah you're right. He did, he did beef up quite a bit. So it's funny to see like it. It's funny to see Lancel now. Yeah, he's so or, different. And I do, I after like thinking about it, I think that they re- probably did do a really good casting job for, <laughs> for this. He, you know what, when he was naked, uh, I don't know, a couple episodes ago with Cersei, I'm just like, you are so gross. Like, I can't, I can't even take him seriously. <laughs> it was just, I didn't understand because I guess it was that he looked like a child to me. Yeah, he's got a tiny frame. And I'm just frame. like, Cersei, what are you doing? You know, it just, it, it doesn't Yeah, look... it doesn't fit with the Jamie thing. Mm-hmm. You like warriors. You've Robert Baratheon and Jamie Lannister and Lancel Lannister? What? <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you just need to scratch an itch? One of these is not like the other. Yeah. So, you know, and she's like, get back in bed. Yeah, maybe it's just because he's so easily manipulable. Manip- manipulatable. Manip- manipulatable. <laughs> manipulatable. <laughs> Oh, that was a total uh, Team America moment. Oh, the remember? South Park guys. Yeah. America. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so go on. <laughs> um, so, so he goes on to, to ask Lancel, you know, tell me, did Cersei have you knighted before or after she took you into her bed? And I'm dying laughing, and Lancel is just crumbling into, like, a little pile of, of goo. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he's like, Cersei, uh, Tyrion's like, well, I'm, you know, you're, Joffrey needs to know about this. Oh, I'll be back. And Lancel drops to his knees and he's just, just, like, begging for Tyrion to, um, to not tell Joffrey He's like, I'll leave the city, you know, I'll leave right now. And he's like, no, actually, you won't. My lord? He's all confused, and it's Tyrion's mm-hmm. plan the whole time. Just force him into submission. Now he's got a eyes and ears um, <laughs> right up close to Cersei. Yeah, like a little closer than he probably wants, but he'll take it. Yeah. Um, so I just thought this scene is hilarious as as... Tyrion forces Lancel to roll over and shows him that sometimes the small dogs are the alphas, you know? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because, you know, he comes in, Lancel comes in, and he has Cersei's hatred of Tyrion in him, right? So he feels entitled and powerful. Right. Yeah, he's been imbued. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow. I didn't even think about it from that aspect. That's a great, um, great point. And he's just like, imp. You know, imp, yeah, and, calls him imp. and he's like, oh, OK, like I, I literally don't care what you have to say about me, you know, and um, I I love it because he also, you know, threat. He, he's threatening not only to out him as somebody who's, you know, betting Cersei, but also as the guy that killed Robert Baratheon. Right. You know, <laughs> and so it's just like once once he knows that Tyrion actually knows all of that. Yeah, that I mean, that's the best part is that he's like, yeah, I got you. Got you, motherfucker. And he breaks. You, know? you never see Tyrion doesn't break at all. Like he's just, his confidence is at 110 percent. This whole scene. Mm-hmm. 
Lancel goes from being at 110% to going to 3%. Well, because he came in, you know, being selfly entitled. You know, that's what happened. And just a total 180. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's great. It's the best. Tyrion, though, man. Gosh, I love him. Yeah, he's so, so great. He's really an inspirational character, you know? Yeah. Well, I loved him. Um, I loved him when he came into the throne room earlier in the episode. That was probably my favorite, my favorite part because he came in, he was angry. What is the meaning of this? You know, right as Marion was about to look like he was, what is he going to beat her with the side of his blade? Because I can't imagine he was about to cut her in half. He had his his sword raised over his head like he was going to strike her with it. Yeah, he struck her once with the flat of his sword already. Um, So, you know, he punched her in the stomach and then he ripped off the back of her dress and then he slapped her on the back on her back with the flat of his sword. Uh, and they're doing this in front of a bunch of people who are doing nothing, uh, much like the people that did nothing when the Mad King was killing the last group of Starks that were in that same room. Yeah, exactly. But um, it's, it's yeah, crazy. That, that throne room has gone from vines to spikes. Yep. I love that too. He when he decides to remake the uh, to remodel the interior of the of the throne room. This is a Gosh. room for conquerors, not flowers, and you know that type of stuff. He, he hates is flowers. The worst. Yeah, he is. He hates flowers, but he married the rose. <laughs> True. That's funny as <laughs> so. hell. That's um, really funny. But I did, I did, I loved Tyrion in that in that one scene because. You know, he's he's like, I'm not threatening the king. I'm educating my nephew. He's yeah. like, if you talk, if you speak one more word, Bron, kill him. That it's, was a threat. Do you see the difference? <laughs> the look on Marin's face. He just <gasps> just does not say a fucking thing. It was um, awesome. So great, too. I love the way that he said that to Joffrey. He's like, did your did your uncle Jamie ever tell you what happened to the Mad King, who also would do as he pleases? You know, like your mm-hmm. uncle Jamie stabbed him. <laughs> People will stab you. Um, yep. That was great. You have no friends. Yeah. Oh, that was so great. Did you notice that um, that the Hound um, covered up Sansa with his Kingsguard cloak? Oh, with his cloak? Oh, brilliant. And that... then later in the episode, when he's waiting for uh, Joffrey to come into his room to give him his name day present, he doesn't have the cloak on. Interesting. And, okay, that's a great thing, because we know... Um... He leaves his cloak. There's, there's a lot of like conspiracy theory about the, the, the hound's cloak and re, in relation to Sansa. In the books, this is just a little detail to make you guys intrigued to read. Um, in the future, she ha, she's wearing this, this green cloak that she has made herself. And after the Battle of the Blackwater, when the hound visits her in her chambers and tries to get her to come with him so he can save her and take her to Winterfell, and she sings him the song, and there's that Great whole moment. Scene. He leaves his Kingsguard cloak, his bloody stained cloak on the floor, and she kind of like huddles in it. And um, it turns out that she likely has saved his Kingsguard cloak and has dyed it herself and turned it into this cloak that she's been wearing. But this ties into the to what we've been talking about so far in this rewatch, because there are certain like marital customs you could say uh, throughout Westeros and the cloaking. The, the cloaking. Mm-hmm. So we have Sam who's talked about stealing 
his wild, you know, Gilly and essentially making her his wildling wife. And we have the hound who, who covers Sansa with his cloak in this moment. And that's sort of symbolic of of uh, marriage in the custom of the seven, right? We mm-hmm. Tyrion Tyrion covers Sansa with his cloak when they're married in the official ceremony uh, in the future, in next season or wherever, whenever that is. So this could be sort of a symbolic, um, a symbolic representation of the connection between the Hound and Sansa, and they do seem to have like a deep connection in the future. I love everything that you're saying right now. I'm just like freaking out over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so cool. I just noticed this too. Um, the the things you notice, you know, in the rewatches and Sansa. Well, knowing what you know about the Hound now, you know that this is a big moment for him because he ripped it off. I mean, you hear the ripping sound. Um, when he takes that cloak off and he wraps her in it, you know, and she's immediately safe uh-huh. in it, you know. And what do you yeah, mean he, by it's he, a big moment for him? Because it's it is the first. I would say I would venture to say this is one of the first moments that of compassion he, that he's going out of his way in front of the king, um, to go against what the king is saying. Mm. Yeah, right? it's true. Somebody's saying cover her and he's ripping off the his Kingsguard cloak. Like, I, I can't mean, wait to stop doing what the king told me to do and go with you instead, Tyrion. But like, he's been yeah. Joffrey's dog, not the Kingsguard. He's been Joffrey's little plaything for dog. years. Ugh, it's horrible. You know what I mean? So now he gets to rip off that cloak and he gets to protect what he wants to protect. Wow. And that cut the whole... That's a whole nother level of symbolism in this scene is we it's a foreshadowing him leaving yeah. the Kingsguard for good at in episode nine, which is the Battle of the Blackwater, right? Right. So brilliant. See, so another... that's what I took it that's what I took it as when I watched it this week. Amazing. I took that as a very big moment for the hound. Yeah, it's a huge development for him. It, it lays the, the it's it, it visually shows the foundation of his change in allegiance is 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 a separation from from Joffrey. Uh that's great. That's really cool. I could I I hope we see Sansa and the Hound reunited. <laughs> oh, me too. Well, that's where they're headed, right? I mean, they're yeah. all headed to Winterfell now. They yeah. Um yeah, totally. Gendry so, and Arya. Yeah, I was going to say Arya Sans- can have Gendry. Sansa and Sandor. Yeah. Yeah, Sansa can have Sandor and vice Arya versa. Arya and uh John you mean Daenerys? No, Arya and John. Arya and John still haven't seen each other. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Just being reunited. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just being reunited. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm just trying. I, I want to see Sansa and Tyrion reunite. Yeah. I want yeah. all these people back together under it at, and at Winterfell? Oh my gosh. Yeah, I could I see. I need to be 2019 right now. I know, right? I could see Sansa ending up with Tyrion or the Hound. Um, Me too. You know? I would prefer her to be with Tyrion. Yeah, I think so. Because I think he was, I think that they were actually really good together. I think that if they had, if she had dropped her act even a little bit to understand that he was really on her side while they were married. Right, that they, they would have gotten along probably could have great. taken the Iron Throne together. I think, yeah, I think they're good. I think it would be more satisfying for me for, from the story arc, from the perspective of Sansa's psychology, to have her initial outlook completely reversed, which is like the, the 
gallant heroes are beautiful and the the evil people are monstrous looking. Um, you know, she sees the Jamie. The, oh, I see what you you're know saying. what I mean. Yeah, mm-hmm. she sees Jamie as this hero, and he subsequently tries to kill her brother and everything. And she sees the hound as this monster. So for me, and from a narrative perspective, it would be I would feel more satisfied to see um, her overcome her initial bias, essentially, and realize that the Hound is like a good guy. And I mean, Tyrion can. And, Tyrion, and Tyrion oh, can get any wife say, he wants. Tyrion you know? can also he fits the monster mold just because that's what he's been called true. his whole that's life. That's true. They yeah, that's great. Again, she was like was horrified by his twisted body and didn't want to sleep with him after their wedding. So there you go, same thing. So it applies well, right. for and both characters. Isn't it characters. interesting yeah. that those are the two people people want to put her together <clears throat> with? Yeah, yeah. And she married the real monster <laughs> with Ramsay. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So she gets she she sees what a real monster is really like, and yeah. So either way, I guess would be satisfying. I feel like um, it would probably be better though. For just because the hound doesn't have too many options, you know, they have an established <laughs> yeah. relationship. Tyrion can find another girl, you know, that won't be a problem for him. I agree. The hound will, might have problems with it. <laughs> That's oh, so funny, if, though. If he lives through next season, yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting, man. There's repeatedly where, and from in the Sansa chapters or whatever, you get her perspective where she's asking, you know, the mother to to watch out for the hound or to to calm his fury or protect him. And mm-hmm. she keeps coming back to him in her mind. So I feel like there's, I do like the there. softness with them. And I think that this, this scene, this subtle thing that happens with them while something else is going on. I think that that really speaks to it. So. Yeah. 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 I agree. Great point. What else you got? Uh, with Tyrion versus Joffrey and Cersei. Um, well, I, um, the the little back and forth that Tyrion and Joffrey are playing with, you know, Tyrion comes in and you could tell the minute that Tyrion comes into that throne room that Joffrey has been caught doing something bad and <laughs> yeah. he knows that he's about to get in trouble. He's king he, and he knows he's about to get in trouble. He's caught with his <laughs> pants down and his hand in the cookie jar. Totally. <laughs> so instead of just learning from it and, you know, being, I don't know, a normal human being. You know, Tyrion's like, hey, why don't you have some girls have some sex, uh, you know, get a good night's sleep, put your crossbow down. Yeah, like, take a you break, know, p- picking the wings off of those flies. Right. I yeah. mean, Bronn Bron was very perceptive when it came to what, you know, Joffrey was doing. I think but he's then, just perceptive in general. He's really well, he, perceptive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then... Joffrey just deep end. He shows his sadism in a awful, awful way. Yeah, he goes way off the deep end. And it, I still don't know because um, I didn't really look too far into this. Did Daisy die? I don't know. Or was I, she beat just beaten to a pulp? I was going to ask you. Ugh. It's her name, Daisy. <laughs> Her name was Daisy. Daisy, yeah. Daisy. Oh man, yeah, that was brutal. Could you hit her? I'm like, and at first uh-oh. they're like, "Oh, this is a fun game," and then he's like, "Harder." I'm like, "Uh oh." And he hands her the belt. <laughs> I'm like, "Shit." Then he hands her this penis-shaped club with antlers, and I'm like, "Oh fuck." 
Like, where is she putting that? That was my (laughs) first thought. (laughs) It's very phallically shaped. Um, Yes. And then what Roz says, what does she say? Too much much pain will, you know, cancel out the pleasure. I was like, oh, man, this is not going to be good. But then he says... I want my uncle to hear about it. I want you to take her body I wasn't, and yeah, show it to him. It must have meant her body, right? Because otherwise, Roz wouldn't need to take her. She could go herself, uh, theoretically. Unless, unless she was beaten that badly. Yeah. I I still don't know. If anybody does know, can you let us know? Uh, That'd be great. What a horrible um, scene. Yeah, but I mean, he just... He's so awful in this scene and um i actually have some notes on joffrey hang on yeah let's hear where are they joffrey joffrey's beating um, um. yeah so <laughs> la, la, la. <laughs> so so what i said uh, what i said was um because a lot of my notes were about the throne room but for this particular scene when he's in his chambers was he was um i just made a note saying this is an episode that really demonstrates the range of Joffrey's sadism. Um, I just, the whole episode was right. I mean, you see him the way he is with Santa in front of people. You see, see the way that he is when people aren't looking, they're not different. He's just awful through and through. Doesn't care who sees, who notices doesn't matter. Yeah. He's, he's G'd up. He's so, he's a gangster. I don't know. Um, he doesn't give a he's fuck. Vile, vile, vile yeah. Vile. He's truly, truly vile. Um, and you can tell that Roz like figured out all of a sudden, like, oh shit, I'm in over my head here. She knew when he handed her the belt. Oh yeah, there's like that moment though where she where it hits her and she realizes like, fuck, this is not good. What's well, interesting because Daisy wasn't like that. Um, Daisy still thought that it was a game. Like she still had a smile on her face and it wasn't until he said harder that she realized that it was going to be a problem. Yeah. Um, I said harder. He'd want me to get his money's worth. Oh my gosh. Shit. So he, you know, he retaliates to Tyrion saying, um, you know, I want him to see what I do with, you know, what he thinks he's giving me. Right. So this is his volley back to Tyrion. Oh, you're going to embarrass me and, and humiliate me in front of everybody. And in, in, uh, when I'm sitting on the throne, well, here's what I have to say about whatever gift you're going to give me. Yeah. Fuck the you. same way he cuts the book in half when Tyrion gives him the book oh, for gosh. his name day. That his hurt next my name heart. Day. Yeah, me too. There's, I hate the, like the concept of destroying books and like you know fahrenheit 451 like we were talking about last week or the mm-hmm. destruction of the library of alexandria right Tyrion said there's like what three copies of this or one copy of this book no that one known that's to it exist. that's the only one that was the only one <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh man he's lucky that that's... Tyrion didn't choke him there i think tywin was there and tywin didn't do anything which re- that that's a whole nother thing yeah man imagine how epic it would have been if tywin just cut his fucking head off right there Man, that would have saved everybody a lot of heartache. <laughs> <laughs> Get back to work, Cersei. Get me, make me another one. He's garbage. <laughs> Hang on, let me go. Oh, wait, get he's Jamie. already got a couple. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Anyways, that's the end of my number three. All right. Oh yeah, we should also mention mention that line that Tyrion had to Lancel. Um, it was hilarious. Um, 
when he finally gives him gives in, he's like, oh yeah, 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 I'll I'll release Pycelle. You, can, you know, in the morning you'll be fine. And Lance, I was like, fuck, like he was gonna just release him anyway. God damn it, you know. And, My favorite uh, part was when he said, "Don't worry, he'll he's uh no yes. worse for wear." Or I didn't hurt a hair on his head. Oh, wait, that may not be true. Yeah, that's the line I was getting to. <laughs> I'd, I'd say I didn't harm a single hair on his head, but strictly speaking, that wouldn't be true. And, and Lancel's <laughs> like, oh, like, what the fuck does that mean? Uh, he thinks it's more severe than it is, you know? Lancel is definitely the dumbest Lannister there is. <laughs> Yeah. He's not the fattest, though. He's just the dumbest. No, no. He's a pretty little princess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You'd know if your mother was the fat one. Isn't that what, you know what Jamie says to his cousin before he kills him? Remember that? He's, oh, uh, I think so. That's in the one next episode, fat I Lannister. think, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, there's only one fat Lannister, and you'd know if she was your mother. <laughs> <laughs> hilarious so uh my number two is baelish machinations and i just get a kick out of you know seeing baelish walk around doing his his snake-like thing all the time first he's i'm gonna move mine too because mine is gonna be number two now is little finger lies okay great perfect (laughs) i call him the heir to the massingill throne to the what to the Massengill throne. What's that? Massengill is a feminine douche. Uh, <laughs> it's a brand. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. That's funny. Anyways, uh, go on. So what were what were he, what was he talking about with Renly? Do you remember? I remember so, he asked if he if he trusted Brienne. He says Brienne's so, loyalty comes free of charge. Oh, I loved that. Um. So what's interesting is that. You know, we were talking last week about Littlefinger and his different voices. Right. Oh, did you pick up on that this week? Well, so when uh, Renly comes into the tent, uh, Littlefinger goes, your grace, in his like highborn voice. And then from that moment on, he was throaty. Mm. Um, So that was really interesting to me. But uh, he was talking about, I think he was doing the whole like, hey, I'm going to you know, if you come to King's Landing, you know, I can get the doors open and you right, don't even have right. to fight for it. Right. He's trying to bribe Renly to keep his position or his head. His head takes precedent. Now I remember. That's funny. Um, and it'd be just like uh, when when um, Lord Tywin arrived to the city to sack King's Landing and they opened the gates for him because he claimed he was going to be there for to help and instead he sacked the city. It's just, it's not exactly yeah. parallel, but it's sort of remindful, line. yeah. The the gates get opened. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the um, end result is the same. Yeah, so Baelish is so funny, man. He's just so slimy. And then he uh he ends up linking up with Marjorie as they're walking because he's trying to find his way through the tent and she agrees to help him find his tent. And she's talking about, oh, you know, every time we set up camp, it takes me a while to remember where my tent is. And he's like, Your tent. What, do you have a separate tent from Renly? You know, and he's mm-hmm. hinting how he knows that Renly's gay. And, well, where was, you know, who is, who is keeping him company on your wedding night? And I saw your brother enter Renly's tent just now and, <laughs> and all this. And, um, Marjorie, man, what, what, that outfit that she's wearing, that thing was crazy, huh? 
Yeah, that, you know, if it was going to rain, that was going to be a very unfortunate outfit. <laughs> yeah, she's just like a walking cup of, of water. <laughs> yeah, she's just going to start bowing to people, offering them yeah. something to drink. <laughs> it was sexy, though. I I would take a drink out of that. Just saying. I'm sure you would, along with <laughs> half of half of the population. <laughs> yeah, maybe even more than half. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Um. Yeah, so that was funny. This whole just interaction, you know, why are you so interested in our marriage? She asks it because your marriage is very interesting, <laughs> and it's it's just uh, it's classic. She's she's ever so sharp and slick, and he's just so slimy, and it's it's really fun to see these two bounce off each other for a little bit. Um, who do you think ends up winning this confrontation? Marjorie. Nice. I, uh, only because she did, she doesn't care that Renly's gay. Right. She doesn't care if people know that she that he's gay. And I think that that was the card that he had to play with her. And she just looked at him and she was like, "I don't think you get it. Like my king is my husband. My husband is my king. I serve my king. Like I don't care. You know." Yeah. So I just thought that that was um, that was a good line too. It was, it was a great line, but he, you know. Littlefinger was looked like he was a little taken aback about the fact that, you know, she really honestly did not care that yeah. he was threatening <clears throat> to expose Renly. She's like, go ahead. I don't care. <laughs> DGIF. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. So then um, Baelish shows up at Catelyn Stark's tent. Ooh, great yeah. scene. And he is defending his actions against Ned and how he sort of betrayed Ned. And she's calling him out on it. And he's like, I freaking told him to take the chair, you know. But I've loved you all this time anyway. And maybe now this is a chance for us to... And she whips out a fucking dagger and, <laughs> and just holds she it right up to him his... right in the heart. Oh, man. She was ferocious in that moment. Oh, like... You know, pointing that dagger right up at his face like, yeah. And he was shocked, but immediately it was slick enough to change his game plan and just come from a different angle. His his ambition at this moment, his goal is to to trick her into releasing the Kingslayer. Right. So he says, you know, I he's, he's talking about how, you know, the longer that. He's like, you know Joffrey and Cersei, like, obviously they're fucking psycho. The longer that Sansa and Arya are in this in the city, in King's Landing, the more, you know, the more danger it is for them. Like, that's bad he news. He said the magic word. I fear for their longevity if they remain at the capital. <laughs> yeah. Throatier. Yeah. Throatier. I feel for that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard, man. <laughs> um, so... And he said the magic word. He said Arya. Yeah, she has right? not heard about Arya. She lied. He lies to her, claiming that Arya is just as wild as ever, you know, and she's still alive. And and for all he knows, Arya had made it back to camp with her. So that was like a that was a long that was a gamble. hail mary. Yeah, that was a gamble. Um, so that reveals to him also that she doesn't know where Arya is, which is more points for him to use. Um, gamble that paid off. So he makes her makes her scared for Sansa and Arya by warning about you know them staying there, and then he puts the nail in the coffin by bringing out the coffin, you know, and just to reinforce the fact that people you love will die, you know, he brings out Ned's bones and under the guise of it being a gesture 
um, of faith for Tyrion from Tyrion. It's really it's a psychological play to scare her into being even more fearful of Sansa and Arya's life at that moment because they're just talking about them being in danger for their life. So then, of course, pulling out the dead husband, reminding her that there are consequences that people die, it only serves to um, to make her more intent or more likely to betray uh, Rob and release Jamie, and just to, for the hope that Sansa and Arya may be saved. And he did a real good job. He was slick with that, too. Like, I'm not bringing this offer to Rob, you know? I'm bringing this offer to you. You're a mother. Mm-hmm. Totally plays her like a, like a fiddle. And um, I loved her, you know, her reactions to him throughout most of the scene. Pulling the dagger was great. Um, she is like, what the fuck is this? And she kind of has an idea, and she kneels down and opens up the 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 box with Ned's bones in it and Baelish fucks up here like he's he overplayed here he's this is a dumb decision trying to have say anything at this moment but he's like your husband was an honorable man no. <laughs> you know? oh, he should God. rest beside yes. his family in the crypts of Winterfell mm-hmm. you may not believe get out <laughs> you know she, totally <laughs> except she doesn't freak out like that she's more like get out you know? Yes, but her brain said exactly what you just said, right? Yeah, so. get the fuck out of here! <laughs> I'm gonna fucking kill you! Don't you talk about the crypts! Don't you talk about his family, you know? Well, I mean, also, he had Ned's bones. He had them. And he's still, before he does it, he's he's like, this is our chance. This is fate, you know? Yeah. Like, he's trying to make a romantic pass at her right before he gives over her husband's husband. bones. I know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if that isn't a, if that isn't like a character flaw, just like flashing like a like a red beacon of light. I don't know it's what just else showing is. you a sociopath, sociopath, like doesn't Ugh. understand humans. <laughs> like that's yeah, he's a total lunatic. Yes, an <laughs> ambitious sociopathic lunatic. Lunatic. Uh, he's amazing to watch. It's so much fun. I know. I love Aiden <laughs> yeah. Gilliam. <laughs> I love him. He's great. Yeah, it's such a good job. Um, you should see him in The Wire. Oh yeah, I need to watch The Wire. Chad L. Coleman, um, Lawrence Gilliard Jr., Seth Gilliam, right, Seth Gilliam, and then a bunch of other actors that are just phenomenal. Yeah, one of the greatest shows ever. I have two more episodes, and I've been like saving them. Oh, nice! <laughs> I've been saving the series. Um, there's a couple that I've been saving. I've been saving The Wire. Been saving um, The Sopranos, for example. I haven't seen. I've seen a couple episodes, but I've been saving that. You know. I'm getting out my shame bell. <laughs> uh, I can't believe you haven't seen The Sopranos. I Anyways. know. I know. I know. I've seen a few episodes, loved it. So I've just been like sitting on it, waiting for the right moment. This is it. This is it. This is now. <laughs> Tony's calling me. Uh, yeah, so that pretty much so wraps up my number two. I had a question two. about this Littlefinger scene with Catelyn. And all right, all right. Maybe you can answer it or we can talk about it. Yeah. But I wonder if, because um, I, I see I wrote it uh, this question down on my margins. Um so Littlefinger's betrayal of Ned in season one um, that ultimately gets him killed. I'm wondering if his original intention was, if I get Ned out of the way, then Kat's mine. It certainly um, played into his decision for sure. 
Did you see that he called her cat in that scene when she was running away and he started getting into like his desperation mode, you know? Oh, goes, I didn't know. No, notice. no, wait, cat, please, cat. <laughs> That's funny. I didn't know. Like that. he dropped all formality Pretense. with her. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's wild. Um, which is, you know, very much like when he was on his knees begging for his life, you know, like there's, I guess, very few things that get him to kind of be Peter Baelish. And that's whatever uh, obsession he has with the Stark slash Tully woman and his life. Yeah, basically. <laughs> whatever weird possessive obs- obsession he has with her. Yeah, because it's not love, you know, whatever it is. Weird. Well, and if it had been love before, it's definitely just clouded by ambition now. Yeah. Because he was their ward, right? Yeah, he was a ward ward at the Tully's, yeah. Mm -hmm. They would play their kissing games. They would. (laughs) Cersei understands, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. Um. Yeah, so I mean, it little finger. You get a good dose of of him. You know, you see him with Cat, and you and and how he's trying to play her in different angles in the same scene. And she's so grief stricken and angry that she can't see that he's just okay. That didn't work. So let me <laughs> let me yeah, try exactly. this. You know, okay, that didn't work. So you know, first he said tried the romantic advances. Then he he finally got, got her to drop the dagger. He well right he so then he got her to drop the dagger for when he said Arya right and then when she was getting angry again that's when he shoved the bones over right so he had like different levels of how he was going to communicate with her if all his plans <laughs> he's, backfired he's got a flow chart planned out for every occasion <laughs> he does, you know? he- if this happens then do this if this happens then do this and then this (laughs) but he does say to Sansa later when they're together you always plan for every possible outcome and I think that that's That's kind of played out here yeah yeah it's his mental flow chart yeah so funny Um, you know and then I I just love it that Renly just looks at him and he's like I don't like you okay like why are you here (laughs) yeah I don't like you I don't like it that you're here just tell me why you're here so that you can leave (laughs) that's great so yeah that that's my little finger bit (laughs) nice wraps up your number two yeah cool cool what's your number one my number one is heron hall all right just in general um heron hall has always stuck out to me as being a really cool castle in westeros because as it's described, it's like the tallest, most monstrously huge, just <laughs> just massive castle in all the land built by a uh, Heron Hor, <laughs> also known as Black Heron, who basically thought that this thing was impregnable. And if it wasn't for dragons, it, it would have been impregnable. It's built right at the top of the God's Eye Lake on the north shore. And... As we see, when we first see Hall here for the first time in the series, it is trashed. Its towers are just melted and destroyed. Gendry says, what kind of fire melts stone as they, as they approach this just decimated castle? And Arya says, dragon fire. Mm-hmm. You know? So the history of this place, it's built by Heron the Black and... He essentially refuses to submit to 
um, Aegon the Conqueror. And in retaliation, you know, he's like, I'm just going to, you know, lock myself up in my castle. You can't do shit. Conqueror my ass. And Aegon's like, ha, 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 you're so clueless. So he, <laughs> Aegon, you know, flies away up into the sky so high that they can hardly, the dragon's just a tiny speck and just dive bombs Hall, blowing fire down onto it until the, the, the castle castle towers were white hot with 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 from the heat and they start twisting and bending and melting and roasting alive all the people inside including Heron the black and his sons and um this defeat of Heron the black with the destruction of Heron Hall the most impregnable castle in all the seven kingdoms combined with the stunning defeat at the field of fire when Aegon and Visenya and Rhaenys rode all three of their dragons and just completely destroyed the Lannister and and um, Lannister and the, the the people who used to run the Reach. They combined forces to meet and fight Aegon at the uh, at the uh, field of fire. It's House Gardener that I was trying to think of. Mern the Ninth was the king of the uh, the gardeners, the king of the Reach that fought with the Lannisters against Aegon at the Field of Fire and was destroyed. Um, but yeah, yeah, these two families they get destroyed by Aegon as well, and these two events lead to uh, the Stark King in the North, Torin, bending his knee and submitting to Aegon the Conqueror because he saw what happened to Heron the Black, having his whole castle destroyed, and he saw what happened to the armies of. Um, the Lannister, um, Lannister King and this other King, King Myrne, I think it was Myrne something. Um, but yeah, so, so Torrin bends the knee, submits, and that's how Aegon took over the Seven Kingdoms. But Harrenhal is a hugely important part of that. So it's cool to see it on the show and to see just how fucked up it is and destroyed from... But the black dread Balerion just melting it. <laughs> yeah, it's so cool. Well, it's interesting to to note that every um every family or every house that's ever held Harrenhal has withered away to extinction. Right. Yeah, that's the other important thing too. It seems that this castle is cursed. Every family that has held it, like you said, died. We have Black Heron, who's just burnt to a crisp inside his own home. We have Tywin Lannister who holds it here, and he ends up being shot on the shitter <laughs> by Tyr, yeah. by his own son. Well, and his house is pretty much withering away to nothing. Right? Yeah, his whole house is essentially ruined. Um, yeah, and then we have um, Baelish who takes possession, and he's killed. We have the Boltons who take possession, and they're wiped out as well. Absolutely. Yep. We have the Ironborn who had been holding it, and look, Balon Greyjoy's dead. Theon has his dick cut off. Like that's the end of that the male line of House that segment, at least that branch of House Greyjoy, gone after they held uh, Harrenhal for a bit as well before the Boltons took it from them. So yeah, anybody that holds Harrenhal is fucked, basically. Right. <laughs> it's crazy. And um, I have written down here. Yeah, what kind oh, of fire melts These, stone? Oh, what were you going to say? Well, I, I was just looking at something. It just said that um, the houses that held Harrenhal um, Ooh. is uh, House 
Corey's, House Towers, House Haraway, House Strong, House Lothson. Oh, the Lothston, um, the black bat of Lothston. Um, Brienne carries a shield from like, one of their Lady shields. Mad Lady Lothston. Oh, interesting. Yeah, remember in the in the books, Brienne carries a black bat of Lothston shield um, after she gets out of Harrenhal, and um, she ends up having that shield painted to her new sigil, which is the the, the same sigil of Sir Duncan the Tall. Interesting. Yeah, so that she was carrying around this black bat, and people were like shunning her because of it, and she's like, no, 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 I'm not like related to the Lothstons. <laughs> so that's funny. Yeah, these families are all, like, destroyed and despised, it seems. Well, and then this says that House went apparently only went extinct in the male line. However, uh, Catelyn's mother was born a Went. Interesting. Uh, but, you know, she became a Tully, and when you see the Tullys, the Tullys are done. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Edmure's captive, Catelyn's dead. Um, I don't know what happened to Edmure's baby. I think he had a son. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think that's a loose end right now. That it is. It's all up in the addressed. air. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hall, man. Yeah, craziness. So the, we we get in there and we hear the tickler working in the background as a dude screaming. And we get a face-to-face with this poor mother who's listening as her son is tortured to death. And before that, it was her husband and, you know, in the days prior. So that's daughter. horrible. Yeah, and her daughter. Arya wakes to shouting, and um, she's chained up amidst the prisoners. She sees the mountain approach. This is a funny part. Hot Pie, she's like, what the fuck are you doing, Hot Pies? Don't look at him. <laughs> Hot Pie's like, well, this Pee guy. <laughs> yeah, Hot P. All you need to do is change one word, <laughs> one letter. <laughs> and uh, so Hot Pie's like, well, this guy looks at him every day, and he never gets killed, right? And then it's that guy who's looking at him that ends up being taken that day. And Hot Pie literally has a piss scared out of him here as he hot pees himself. Poor Hot Pee. <laughs> Poor Hot Pee. <laughs> Poor little Hot uh, Pee. And man, this guy does not have a good time as he is tortured with a rat and a, a bucket and fire. And, you know, oh. you put that fire up to that side of the bucket and there's only one way out for that rat and it's digging through that soft flesh. So that's pretty gnarly. Oh, and a whole, it was really hard to watch. Um, and we see Arya going to sleep again and she's reciting her names. Joffrey, Cersei, Ilan Payne, the Hound. And then that woman is begging Polliver for a crust of bread. And Polliver instead just beats her uh, horribly. And then Arya adds to her list, Polliver, the mountain. Is Marin Trent on her list yet? I don't think so. That's or, interesting. Or maybe Marin uh, Trent was supposed to be on her list because right, he right. killed Sirio. Yeah, he must be on there. I, I think that they like kind of like just sort of they're working with as many seconds as they can spare, you know, so they don't right, give right. us the whole list every time. Like when she's yeah. outside the house of black and white, it's an impar- incomplete list as well, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we she gets to she adds the Polliver and the mountain to her list at this moment. Then we, next time we cut back to Heron Hall, <laughs> the, the guy who was looking at the mountain, his head is being pounded onto a spike. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Which is wild. Uh, 
it's just right onto the spike. Um, you never get to see the heads actually being put on the spikes, so that was pretty cool. Um, and horrible at the same time, obviously. Um, but then <laughs> Gendry is taken, and everybody's like, oh, fuck. Um, and they are about to, you know, they're just applying the rat to Gendry's gut as Tywin arrives. The imposing Tywin Lannister arrives just standing tall above everybody on his horse and everything at Iron Hall halts. Um, Do you notice that they bowed to him? Oh, I didn't notice that, but yeah, it makes sense. I mean, they he's essentially the ruler of the Seven Kingdoms when it really comes down to it, mm-hmm. you know? So he he's like, what's up with these prisoners? And he's like, why aren't they in the cells? The cells are overflowing. We just kill them. Like, who cares? And he's like, are we so well manned that we can discard young, abled bodies and skilled laborers? <laughs> you know, and, and Pulver's like, I uh, hadn't considered that, boss, you know? <laughs> So uh, <laughs> so he asks Gendry, you know, would you have any skills? He's like, yeah, I'm like a really, really awesome smith. You know, I was trained on the Street of Steel at like the top of the top by Tabo Mott, one of the few people in the Seven Kingdoms that knows how to rework Valyrian steel. So uh, fucking yes, I have a skill. So, I love that. Right? So Tywin obviously puts him to work and he tells Polliver to put the prisoners to work. And uh, he has a great little interaction with Arya. Arya is spying Needle, and she's looking at it and looking at it and looking at it. And finally, Paul Oliver's like, what are you looking at, girl? And pulls out a steel. He's a boy. A boy, right. What are you looking at, boy? And uh, <laughs> Tywin comes over. This one's a girl, you idiot. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. um, so she's like, why? He's like, why are you dressed like a girl, a boy, little girl, you know? Safer to travel, my lord. <laughs> Smart. Clever girl. Smart. More than I can say for this lot, stupid Polliver and these mm-hmm. idiots. Uh, get these prisoners to work. Bring the girl. I need a new cupbearer, you know? So that I was cool. Um, Tywin is just so magnetic. It's hard to look anywhere else on the screen when Tywin is Tywin's on the screen. Um, especially, for some reason, when he rides in on the horse, he just looks, like, very imposing. Well, he looks like that's where he belongs. Yeah, yeah. He's at the top of pinnacle of his game. Uh, he has a great chemistry with Arya too. Yeah, it's it's really funny. Um, it's so he has, how he's so easily able to decipher that she's highborn, and I wonder if he f- like has figured out who she is. No way. No, you don't think so. You think he would have used it? Yeah. For me, I feel like he's got like an interesting like code. You know, like when he started to have respect for Tyrion, he he put him in a position of power. He obviously had respect for Arya here. Maybe if he had figured out, I mean, obviously at this point he doesn't hasn't figured out who she is. But during the cupbearer scene, like if he ends up figuring out that she's a Stark, maybe maybe he's willing to just let her slide to just see what happens. You know, I don't know. I don't know. It's I I, I agree with you to to a certain extent. I know. Even yeah. I'm like trying to make an argument here for myself because. Because you know I think I mean? she, he even says, like, he even suggests that she was highborn. Right. But I don't think he put it together that she was Arya Stark. Yeah. Because Arya Stark is missing. So I just feel like if he had put it together that it was Arya Stark, it would be one of those, like, no, you're fucking Arya Stark. We're t- okay, we, we got to make sure that we have a handle on you at all times. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a logical thing. Yeah. And he's a very 
methodical mind. So, yeah, yeah, but I he, agree. He probably uh, but did not. At the same time, out. he wouldn't. He wouldn't give Arya over to Joffrey and Cersei because he knows that Joffrey would probably just torture and kill her because he <laughs> hates her. <laughs> yeah, or he hates everybody. I don't know. <laughs> he just hates anybody that's not him. Right. Exactly. Uh, he even man. hates his own mom. Yeah. Um. So I had a question about um, this whole sequence with uh, the killings and Polliver and Harrenhal. And um, I, I looked, I looked it up and I, I tried to see if um, it had been mentioned before, but I think this is the first time that Beric Dondarrion's commission from Ned Stark has now been called the Brotherhood. Oh yes, it, it definitely, this is the first time. Yep. I hadn't even really thought about it. So used to like hearing, you know, the brotherhood, brotherhood, brotherhood. So yeah, good call. This is our first mention of the brotherhood without banners. Definitely. Which is interesting. Yeah. Which is great because we know that, that they're, you know, they were commissioned by Ned Stark to go and, and get the mountain and, and uh, all of the mountains people and bring them back. Um, And we don't, we don't know that this is the same group at this point, right? We just hear of a group called the brotherhood. We're not, we're not aware that it's Beric. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah, it's so interesting. So it's kind of fun to know now that, that they're looking for these people that are probably just wreaking havoc. Yeah, and it's good to know um, that Ned has a legacy, you know, like another a- yes. aspect of his legacy that's um, currently in motion. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Very much. I love it. <laughs> Definitely. So that pretty much wraps up my number one. That's your number one. Yeah. So... My number one is really the only kind of like thematic thing that I have going on, uh, but it's still people. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, that's and it's totally the cool. women of Westeros, right? Yay. And I really like pointing out all of the women when they get to be these, you know, great, strong characters with, because the show is so rapey. Um, <laughs> so it's nice. It's nice to kind of say, well, you know, George R. R. Martin doesn't really hate women. Okay. Like, the strongest characters in this series could be argued that they're all female. Yeah, you know? for sure. Yeah, um, Brienne, Daenerys. Yeah. Right. So in this Arya. episode, we see a lot of um, a lot of the women and their survival skills. Right. Um, that's something that we use in in my family of using your survival skills. Right. Um, what what your strengths are and and how to succeed and and just be um uh successful i guess so in i made a little list and we have sansa um at the top just you know she's giving out her party line or mantra that she gives i you know i love my betrothed joffrey i'll do anything for him you know right. i'm not going to trust you i'm not going to trust you i don't care what he does to me i'm not giving this guy any more ammunition uh, right yeah and Tyrion's response to that remember his response he said you may survive us all yes that was interesting he understands what she's doing mm-hmm. right and she's um she's very focused on on staying alive and just getting through whatever she needs to get through. Um, which I think is just, it's this quiet strength that Sansa has that I think goes overlooked, um, to just a, a casual observer of the show. Um, Arya, her strength, uh, lies in being able to face the awful 
and she doesn't turn away and she doesn't retract in horror at these people getting killed. She is watching it and she's using it. And, you know, she goes to bed every night and she says her list and that gives her resolve and purpose to get through to the next day. Um, you know, and she's got this fearlessness in her that I, that serves her purpose. Yeah. She totally stays frosty. Yeah. Um, she's always aware, you know, she knows what the, the smell of death is and, and she doesn't care. Like she looks at hot pie, like it's dead people like get with the program. How are you still alive? He was bragging about killing people before and she's schooling him. (laughs) I know that's great. You know, she was able to talk to Tywin, um, you know, and she's got that highborn in her, so she's not intimidated by all of these lords, you know? Um, right, that's a good because, point, too. That stands out. That makes her stand out immediately. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's a strength that she can use. Like, she's she's acting like, you know, she's invisible. She's one of the common people. But really, she's like, I don't give a fuck about any of you people, okay? My dad was Ned Stark. Yeah, he was the biggest king. deal in the lands. <laughs> it's you know? kind of a big deal. My brother's the king in the north. Like, I don't care. (laughs) Um, And then you have Talisa, right? We see this this new character, Talisa, who is, you know, she's healing all of these injured people. And she's throwing shade at Rob and Roos. Like, get out of my way, you know? Like, you know, she's calling out Rob for not having a plan if he wins the war. She's telling Roos to, you know, kick rocks and beat it. He's got nothing to offer right now. Um you know, so she's she she's from Volantis, she reveals in in this opening episode for her character, which means that she probably doesn't care about any of these lords either. Yeah. Um, or these fake kings. She's like, I don't care who you guys are. I'm here to serve a purpose, and that's to help these people. Um, so I thought that she showed a lot of strength just in her only scene that she had in this episode. Um to a certain extent, I put Roz on the list. Um, Roz tried to stand up to Joffrey. I think anybody that tries to stand up to Joffrey is braver than I would ever be. <laughs> um, you know, she's no, like, give yourself no, no. some credit. I think you'd. I think you're pr- probably plenty brave. Well, he's scary. <laughs> <laughs> he's a little blonde boy, but yeah, he's very scary. Um, <laughs> you know, but she's like, hey, you know. Tyrion's not going to like this if he hears about this. And he's like, no, no, I want him to hear about it, you know. But she tried. She tried to save her friend and she tried to save, you know, she tried to stand up to the king. And I yeah, think that did. that just merits a little, uh, that merits her spot on this list of uh, strong women. Um, and she had Catelyn, another type of strength, too, which was the strength to follow through with the, the disgusting behavior that Joffrey wanted him her to do just out of self-preservation. You know, yeah. as horrible as it was, she was at least strong enough to do it to survive. Because if she didn't do it, he would have killed her. Yeah. So that's another type um, of strength. That's a great like, point. Um, Catelyn, um, you know, she as grief stricken as she is and as weak as she probably feels um, with, you know, loss and, and war, you know, she was able to look at both of these Baratheon men and try and use her mothering skills, which are her survival skills, right. Um, To stop the fighting of these two childish brothers. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, You know, she's able to use her relationship with Baelish, to um, kind of 
get him out of her head a little bit and order him away. So I, she, she impresses me all the time. I, as much as she could be annoying, she's also (laughs) somebody that is just such a, I, I I think she's an incredible character in what she endures and what she does to keep her family alive. She's got that woman's sort of strength. Isn't that what Brienne says? Yeah. (laughs) Something like that. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I think that, you know, the woman sort of strength is a strength that um, it comes from a very, very deep spot. Um, Yeah. Daenerys, who we haven't really touched on at all, but I loved seeing her leadership's uh, style kind of emerging in this episode. You know, she was not willing to... um, to show her dragons. She was not willing to use her dragons who she considers her children for her own personal gain. You know, that was a dangerous game that she was unwilling to play and she could have died for it. All of her people could have died for it, but she stood her ground. Um, yeah, that was pretty crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. And then she, you know, she's like, we're going to burn your cities down. You know, you're going to remember this and blah, blah, blah. So I think that she kind of rattled Zaro a little bit, which is why he, you know, um, proclaimed, uh, Sumai, Mm. right. He, what what was it called? Declaring Sumai? I, he invoked Sumai. Invoked. Thank you. I had a different uh, he, interpretation of that. I thought that he saw her as a means to gaining more. He's like, ooh, if she, re- if she really does have dragons, I could vouch for her here and get her on my side, and then I could try oh, to... Probably. But she, but she made herself visible to him. Oh, yeah. Definitely. You know what I mean? I mean, if she didn't have those dragons, she probably wouldn't have felt the need to start screaming at all of them. Yeah, and if right? she if she hadn't been projected herself as that strong, it wouldn't have been that appealing to Zara. Right. So I think that those two points kind of complement each other yeah, a little bit. I agree. Um, you know, when learning about the Garden of Bones and realizing that even going outside the gates of Karth could get everybody killed. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's hardcore. She still went. Yeah. She's still like, no, we're going. We're going to do this. They're going to let us in. Period. End of story. That, that quote from Jorah, every time the Carthians shut their gates on a traveler, the garden grows. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. Yeah. Jorah has, Jorah's, he's, he's a good guy to have. Yeah. He's got uh, an awesome voice too. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I really like his voice. And then my, the last person I put on this little list was Melisandre and I, put her on the list because I think that she uses her uh, seductive skills, her absolute faith in R'hllor. And her trickery, too. Yeah, and her confidence. She has such confidence that, you know, she doesn't let anything in to bother her or set her away from her, um, her mission. And so I just, you know... I just love it when, you know, you can look at an entire episode and you can see there are all these really badass strong women, whether you like them or you don't like them. I mean, they're strong. <laughs> yeah, they're strong and they're making shit happen. And Marjorie, um, too. Marjorie. Yes, absolutely. And I don't know why she's not on this list. I think she's on a different list. I, I made two lists. <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, because she she stood up to Baelish and she was like, yeah, whatever. He's gay. I don't care. You Look at me. I'm a queen. Yeah, what I don't do you, care. You think you got leverage on me or something? You don't get shit, yeah. boy. 
Go ahead. Do it. I dare you. <laughs> I dare you to go to anybody with this. You don't want to play chicken <laughs> with Baelish, though. It's a dangerous game. Yes, it is. <laughs> That's so crazy. So, yeah. So that was my number one. Just wanting to tip my hat to the women of Westeros. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. We got lots of great, great women characters, great females, great wenches to admire. Yes, the wenches are <laughs> the very wenches nice. The wenches of Westeros. <laughs> the wenches of Westeros. Perfect. I thought it was funny, too, when um, Danny got kind of caught in a lie there as she claims to be aware of the legendary beauty of the city Quarth. <laughs> and the spice guy, the spice trader, is like, it's actually a Karth, so I can tell you've never heard of us. That was awesome. <laughs> yes, and then she had to spit out that word friend. She's like, yes, my friend. <laughs> Pained her to say that. Yeah. She had some great moments there, I agree. Um, oh, I also wanted to mention, um, what was it? Is there anything else here for this scene while we're on it? Oh, there's a great line here when Zaro is Zaro comes steps forward to to speak against the spice trader, and the spice trader is like the thirteen have spoken, you know. And Zarlo, Zar, Zarlo, Zaro's like, ah, I am one of the thirteen, and I'm still speaking, uh, homie. <laughs> I love that. You know, yeah. And he, he sort of mocks um, the the spice trader for retreating from a little girl. You know, like, what are you? You're too scared. To to let a little girl and a couple Dothraki stragglers into the city, like for real, right? Um, and he, the Spice guy, is like, "Well, she threatened to burn down our city," you know. <laughs> and he's like, "She's the mother of fucking dragons. You think you can? You know, she's gonna watch her people starve without breathing fire?" You know, right. that's just a great line. I thought that was really cool. And um, I agree. That guy is. He looks really tall, man, Zaro. He looks huge yes. compared to these other guys. Um, yeah, she, you know, he's like, we don't just, we didn't become the strongest city in the world by letting Dothraki savages through our gates, you know? And he's like, well, I'm a savage from the Summer Island, you know, right? Summer Islands. And, and look, here I am. Yeah, and your city's stronger with me, right? So that was pretty yep. cool. Uh, I'm the richest man in the world now, bitch. Zaro, Zaro's a, like a good guy before he is a total douche. Oh gosh! Yeah, and that was cool how he invoked Sumai and sliced his palm. Oh, that would suck to do. Oh, I felt it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, we see Karth and the gate when the gates open, and it's gorgeous. It's like the sloping hill that goes right down to the water there, and beautiful buildings all around. And so the, the, there's like the they're in the middle of the Red Waste. Apparently, they're right at the coast. They were three days from from Karth, which is on the coast. So it's just all desert and this one irrigated city, essentially, that's just like a diamond in the middle of a desert. It's crazy. That apparently just, you know, has a wall around all the water. Yeah, an oasis. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, there's, yeah, they, they, they well, they, they have to, maybe they're, maybe they have like wells or something to get fresh water because they can't drink the ocean water, you know? So like. I was just wondering how on earth they got. The walls around. I, I was trying to picture it in my head. I have the map downstairs. They could on my um, wall, so I'm gonna look at it. Mine here. hasn't come yet. I gotta figure that out. Um, but yeah, I mean, you'd you'd probably be able to walk around the walls of Karth to the ocean, but that wouldn't really do you any good because it's ocean water. You know, you can't right. can't drink it. 
But how far out do the walls go? I mean, can you swim around it? Probably, but they'd they'd see you coming. You know, somebody would notice. <laughs> yeah. Who are these new <laughs> people? Again. Yeah, we got swimmers. <laughs> <laughs> Unleash the warlocks. Pyat Pri is like. <laughs> They just all burst yeah, into flames or something. Like spikes or something. <laughs> yeah. Freaking crazy warlocks. Uh, that pretty much wraps it up for my notes. You got anything else you want to mention? No, I've. I think I've I've mentioned it all. All right. So we will take a little break and we'll be back with news. back with the news news about game of thrones believe it or not you want to start off Kristen? sure all right uh this article is by cinema blend how game of thrones bran feels about john and danny's incest according to the actor uh season seven of game of thrones was a doozy and fans are still recovering from the chaotic albeit shorter edition with a limited amount of episodes left until Westeros' story concludes last season was forced to amp up the pace and excitement to a fever pitch in order to cover all the material needed in its penultimate go on the small screen and the season left quite a few cliffhangers as Bran and Samwell Tarly realized that John and Danny were related as the duo were in the midst of passion so how will the lone surviving Stark son react to his cousin doing the deed with a relative, especially given that incest is the reason he was thrown out of the tower in episode one? <laughs> Cinema Blend's Laura Hurley recently asked that to actor Isaac Hempstead Wright just that. And he said, I don't think it'll be such an issue for Bran because he takes quite an objective look at the world. And mainly all he's concerned with is whether people are getting killed and whether there are people lying. I don't think Bran's really sitting there judging whether having sex with your aunt is right or not. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that there's enough of a moral personality to Bran in that sense, in that he sits there and passes judgment on what relationships are okay and who and who you love. What will bother Bran more is the fact that it could end up being a very, very tricky situation with his new queen and the person who's actually the king and they're in love. I think what actually bothers is not the actual act of incest, but more the fact that this is going to be very, very dangerous. Bran has changed drastically since becoming the Three-Eyed Raven, and it appears that this will also affect how he treats John and Danny's accidental incestuous tryst. Rather than looking at their budding romantic relationship morally, it seems that the war against the Night King is the only thing on Bran's mind this coming season. As such, he'll be looking at how Don and John and Danny's bond will affect the war to come, as well as the threat of Cersei to the south. Overall, it would be great to see more of Bran's personality come back when season eight of Game of Thrones premieres sometime in 2019. Boo. (laughs) He was largely consumed by his new role as the Three-Eyed Raven and the endless amount of information that he's trying to sort through in his brain. As such, his reunions with Arya and Sansa weren't quite as emotionally satisfying as they could have been. But the trio of Stark siblings managed to unite by the end of the season, killing Littlefinger for his crimes in the process. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, Cinema Blend was able to get a sneak peek into Isaac Hempstead Wright's process as brand in conjunction with the release of season seven's home release, which is currently available now. Our next item is an article by Winter is Coming. Liam Cunningham, Davos, on season eight. I know everything now. Bran Stark, a.k.a. the Three-Eyed Raven, is the best-informed person on Game of Thrones. But off-screen, pretty much the entire cast has read the scripts for the final six episodes of Game of Thrones, and that gives them power. I know everything, star Liam Cunningham, (laughs) Davos Seaworth, told The Independent. I've read the last six episodes. It makes me want to go into Patty Powers and put a few quid on. Wow, I don't know what that means. He wants to take bets. Okay, <laughs> that that's funny. That sounds more like something Tyrion would do, not Davos, but far be it for us to put limits on how Cunningham uses his information. HBO, on the other hand, with great power comes great responsibility. A lesson Cunningham has been slow to learn when it comes to Game of Thrones. I used to leave the scripts lying around my house and my daughter would go mad at me and go mad at me screaming, put them away <laughs> with all the security <laughs> measures in place for season eight. That would never happen now. But however casual he was about scripts in the past, Cunningham has never feared that he was in danger of spilling the show's secrets. The code of silence is apparently too complete. It's like being a member of the Masons. That's so cool. In quotes. <laughs> As Game of Thrones barrels toward the finish line, many cast members are excited to tackle the next, next leg of their careers. Cunningham isn't necessarily among them. It happens all the time when you're working as an actor, even jobs you love. They are always taken off you like your children. They just disappear. It's going to be a massive shame. My accountant's not going to be ha- My accountant's not happy. <laughs> I'll, I'll be back down at Hatch 13 on Gardner Street collecting me dole after this. Cunningham isn't being totally serious, of course, as Thrones has led to a significant spike in the demand for the Irish actor. There's stuff coming in now because my stock has gone up slightly, so I think the financiers have become a bit more confident about backing stuff that I'm involved in, he said. Still, it just means there's a larger proportion of crap coming in. (laughs) I'm I'm waiting for decent stuff. (laughs) I love that. Good for you, being able to pick and choose. Here's hoping the decent stuff comes in soon. In the meantime, we'll enjoy Sir Davos for as long as we can. Agreed. Agreed. Love the Onion Knight. Davos! <laughs> I love the Onion Knight. Me too. <laughs> it's the best. Um. Okay. Item. This article is by Winter is Coming. The Game of Thrones Season 8 director lineup clarified. Woo! The final season of Game of Thrones is over a year away, but certain things, like the lineup of directors, are becoming clear. Fabian Wagner has served as the director of photography on several episodes of Game of Thrones, including season 4's The Laws of Gods and Men, season 5's Hard Home, Ooh. and season 6's Battle of the Bastards and the Winds of Winter. Great episodes. Those are all episodes that have particularly great uh, photography, you know, deep like DP work. Those are great episodes for that so very nice uh resume there buddy yeah uh he worked on those last two under director miguel sapochnik did i say that you got it yes yeah both sapochnik and wagner are returning up that time though oh come on i'm kidding i'm kidding (laughs) (laughs) 
both that director and <laughs> Wagner <laughs> are returning for season eight, which will consist of only six episodes. We're back together as a team, and we've got a couple of very exciting episodes ahead of us, he told Collider. We're shooting episode three and episode five. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> we, we learned back in September that now, see, now I've got a thing about it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sapochnik, you, you got it. Thank You're good. Sapochnik, probably the show's most consistent director, will be returning for season eight. Veteran Thrones director David Nutter <laughs> will also be in the mix, while showrunners David Benioff and Dan Weiss will direct the final episode themselves. So between them, Nutter and Sapochnik would direct five episodes, but until now, we didn't know how the work would be divided up. But assuming that Sapochnik isn't working with multiple directors of photography, the final lineup should look like this. Episode one, Nutter. Episode two, Nutter. Episode three, Sapochnik. Episode four, Nutter. Episode five, Sapochnik. Episode six, David Benioff and Dan Weiss. Knowing who will direct what episode doesn't confirm plot details, but it could give us a general idea of what will happen. Directors are often chosen for their strengths. So battles in episode three and five. I wish it was all six. Um, <laughs> while Nutter has directed action, he's probably best remembered for helming uh, some of the show's smaller scale shocking moments, such as the Red Wedding, the burning of Shireen, and Cersei's Walk of Shame. Damn. Episodes one, two, and five may keep things a little smaller. Probably not, but okay. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> nothing small from here on out. <laughs> yeah, nothing. Nothing. <laughs> I agree. Meanwhile, Sapochnik has made a name for himself directing the show's biggest action set pieces, including the action scenes at Hard Home and Battle of the Bastards. At the at the moment, the production is readying two huge sets for what, what looks like battle sequences. This we're getting spoilery here now. Yeah. Uh oh. So I'm going to maybe stop. Yeah, I think that's that safe. should that should wet everybody's whistle. If you'd like yep. to read more, you can. Again, the article is by Winter is Coming, and it's called The Game of Thrones Season 8 Director Lineup, comma, Clarified. Perfect. I agree. Good decision. I didn't want to... <laughs> I was starting to get nervous there, too. Me, too. Well, I don't like knowing anything anyways. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, side note, I went to see Star Wars uh, this past week. I just saw it for the second time today. The best part was is that I... Um, is that we decided a long time ago we weren't going to watch any trailers. Um, we didn't watch any trailers. We didn't read any articles. We didn't We didn't know anything going in. And the payoff was really great. So nice. I like I've, I like going that route most of the time if I can. Fuck so. yeah, I'm in the same position, so I'm looking forward to seeing that soon, real soon too. <laughs> Yeah, you better. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> we will be right back with Raven's Calls. <laughs> Walker Ravens. Yeah. Frog Ravens. There you go. Avelino Rochino says... One of my favorite people in the whole world. Yeah, me too. I just had to say that really quick. <laughs> What's up, Avelino? <laughs> Love you, buddy. 
Man, Lord Tywin can sure make an entrance. Charles Dance portrayed him with such bearing that even in the shithole where Arya's comrades being tortured, Tywin lights up the courtyard with an aura of leadership and decisiveness. Also, we get a peek into the sadism that is rife in House Bolton. In my family, we say, a naked man has few secrets, a flayed man, none. And finally, it's tough to see just how low the main female protagonists of this series have, have fallen. Arya, Danny, and Sansa are all in dire straits, and a cat's whisker of dying or being tortured. One of the few bright moments was Tyrion walking into the throne room and chastising Joffrey while saving Sansa. Yes. P.S. Four fewer fingernails to clean. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anna Panky? Pankey? Ponk? Good question. Let us know how to pronounce your name, Anna. Yes, I would like to know. Uh, just listen to episode 52. Just wanted to let you know there's another German listener. I'm from Cologne, and my friend who recommended your podcast is from Munich. Yay! Yay. <laughs> Germany. Germany. What's up, guys? Thanks for listening. And thanks for writing in. Always good to hear where you guys are listening from. And that That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> I like Germany, too. I've been there a few times. I like it. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I've, I'll run a go. I've never, like, I've been to the airport in Frankfurt. I think it doesn't really count, you know, unfortunately. Yeah. I sang in <laughs> Germany. Um, I sang in uh, Heidelberg and Dinkelsbühel. So. Whoa. It was nice. fun. I sang all over Europe uh, out of high school. So that was cool. just two of the places that we went. But yeah, it was fun. Nice. Yeah, I got to get over there sometime. Good beer. Oh, that's true. Jennifer Weir says, So many good scenes in this episode. These were ones that I liked. Love it when Tyrion comes to Sansa's rescue and Bronn's analysis of Joffrey. There's no cure for being a cunt. (laughs) 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 And he's got nothing to do all day except pick wings off flies. Such a great description of Joffrey. Yeah, feels so nostalgic to see the start of Arya chanting her list and adding names like Polliver and the Mountain. Renly on Melisandre's description of Stannis, born amidst salt and smoke. (laughs) Uh, Is he a ham? (laughs) Renly says. (laughs) That cracked me up. That was so funny, man. If nothing else, Renly is hilarious. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> Tyrion playing with Lancel and threatening him. Love, love, love Tyrion. <laughs> and Stannis telling Davos, fewer. <laughs> yes, I'll never get tired of Stannis' grammar lessons. Never. Totally never. agree. <laughs> uh, Kane says, how did I ever make it past this episode? Joffrey's sadism was awful to watch. The rat torture made me wince. And then the demon birth? The show is effed up. (laughs) And amazing. (laughs) They also have a lot of apples. One of Joffrey's ladies, Renly and Catelyn, had bowls of them. The fall of man predicting their death. Just another autumn fruit. Winter is coming, my people. Yeah, and um, uh, Polliver, I believe it was Polliver, or the tickler, um, was eating a pear. Oh, I didn't even notice. Or I didn't notice apples either. That's a good call, though. There's a lot of fruit. And I think pears and apples are both autumn fruit. So that's a nice catch. Yeah. And in the uh, their autumn lasts for like years, right? We get the the white raven arrives in season one to announce that autumn is here. Mm -hmm. Right. 
So they're 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 autumn lasts for a long ass time before they're winter ma- shows up. There's just been so much trouble for so winter. They got, yeah, long story short, they got tons of apples. Mm-hmm. How do you like <laughs> them apples? Yeah, you like them apples. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah Larkham says this episode shows the only time we see Rob on the battlefield. He and his army attacking the Lannister army. We only saw the aftermath of the attack, and I wished we saw more of Rob on the battlefield in earlier seasons. We see Littlefinger get into Caitlin's head using her daughters as a bargaining chip to convince her that if he gets her daughters back, then she should convince Rob to end the rebellion against the Lannisters. Yeah, Littlefinger is getting getting goals accomplished here. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I can't keep it back. (laughs) (laughs) Wendy Ah Eppers. Hello, Wendy. Hey, Wendy. Says, there's no cure for being a cunt. One of the many, (laughs) many wise words from Braun. This one's a girl, you idiot. (laughs) Tyrion controls (laughs) Lancel pretty quickly. (laughs) Yeah, really quickly and easily. Uh, So many good lines. Matthew Rep says, I've gotten so used to Heifer Julius Bjornsson's portrayal of the mountain that I'm seeing Gregor in this episode and thinking he is just too skinny and needs to bulk up. I was so happy to finally see some forward momentum in Danny's story after three episodes of stagnation. Catelyn wants none of Littlefinger's bullshit, but it was bittersweet to see her reunited with the body of her husband. Thanks for commenting, brother. We have an email from Archmaester Rennie. Duncan and Kristen. First, I want to give my thumbs up on Kristen's comments in the last podcast about the women of Westeros and thank her for talking about her own experiences as a women a woman sports fan. Although I work in academia now, yes, Duncan, I'm one of those know-it-all professors. <laughs> <laughs> when I was in my teens and 20s, I worked for my dad doing construction and got nothing but flack from men who didn't think I could possibly know what I was doing, which is why I identify with why I identify with Arya, Brienne, Mira Reed, Yara Greyjoy, and all the fighting women of Westeros. Solidarity, sister. Appreciate yeah, yeah. it. <laughs> On to the episode, which introduces two of this season's worst storylines. <laughs> Talisa, a.k.a. Dr. Quinn of Volantis, <laughs> and the ridiculousness of Karth. <laughs> I'll have more to say about them in future episodes. There are also some great themes and scenes in this episode. Tyrion saving Sansa from Joffrey and saying, Lady Stark, you may just survive all of us. Words that are probably prophetic. And Littlefinger verbally sparring with Marjorie, And the great cut from Arya saying her names to the confrontation between Catelyn and Littlefinger. Arya adding Polliver and the Mountain to her list. Tyrion sub- suborning... Suborning. Tyrion suborning Lancel. And of course, the birth of the Shadow Baby. That's interesting. I've never seen that word suborning before. And as a professor of English, I have to love Stannis correcting less to fewer. Archmaester Rennie. Thanks, Rennie. Always good to hear from you. Very, very much so. And thank you. Yeah, I uh, I feel you on the uh, on having to do a little extra because you're a girl. <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine it, but I feel your pain. Did you and- do this on purpose? No, no, I didn't. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. Um, and also, thank you, my new English professor, for teaching me the new word uh, suborning, which I was not familiar with. So thanks. Yay. 
So this next one is from Sarah Pete of Longwood, who apparently I I say all of your emails every week. <laughs> I think I did last week, actually. But did yeah. you? Okay. <laughs> I'll have to go back and check. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys. I read somewhere that in George's original draft, Ilario Mopatis, wow, was a character named Ilario. 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 Il- Ilario. Gosh, I'm telling you, I'm not good with the words today. Uh, it happens. Tom Wapat, a wealthy merchant <laughs> from from the free city of Dem Duke Boys. Really, Dem Duke Boys, <laughs> far to the south. Tom Wapat would ride in ride into town in a bright orange chariot. He called the General. No one knew how he got so rich or even what he sold, since he was only ever seen jumping his chariot over Slaver's Bay or caterwauling while blowing through town. <laughs> His chariot was said to be enchanted with magical properties that made it able to jump absurd distances without shattering the axles. This magic seemed to work as long as Illyrio never used the doors. He was wanted in most cities for leaving piles of mangled horses wherever he recklessly jumped over this river or that. But George's editors had him rewrite the character to be more fat and less rednecky. Do you guys know if this is true? You are my favorite Game of Thrones podcast. Love, Sir Pete of Longwood, Breaker of Wind, Smoker of the Dank, the Somewhat Burnt. <laughs> he's, he's, he's not the unburnt, he's the somewhat burnt. <laughs> you, know, you know, Sir Pete, I don't think I've heard this theory before. Illyrio Tomwell Pat, Dem Duke Boys. Yeah, this is new for me. I'm going to have to look into that Dem one for Duke sure. Boys. <laughs> yep. Oh. You know, I was just thinking, I wonder if he had a um, a girlfriend that wore really short shorts. <laughs> what? Like Daisy Dukes. Oh. oh, yeah, maybe. Maybe. And we do, we have, oh, Patrick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you want to announce it? No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I got oh, excited. <laughs> <laughs> Next, we have voicemails from Sir Patrick of Hindsight. Uh, hi, guys. It's your friend Patrick. I uh, did not have too much to say about the um, What is Dead May Never Die. A few points here and there, but I didn't feel it was worth calling in. Um, but it also, my... HBO Now ran out, so I gotta get that back so I can rewatch with you. But anyway, just about the uh, recent show that you just put out, I loved your co-host's point about um, the difference between Baelish and Littlefinger with the voice, and yeah. I just wanted to add a little bit to it. Uh, I've noticed, okay, a common trait of, um, for manipulative, manipulative psychopaths is that their entire persona can just switch, like in a blink Mm -hmm. and their voice like cadence and tone and everything just changes all of a sudden as they become this different person. And what I think is interesting and what really tells you that it's deliberate on the actor's behalf is the fact that he chose a mockingbird as his sigil. Mockingbird are the mimics of the bird world. They (laughs) don't really have a voice of their own. They just imitate other birds and it's sort of their survival mechanism. I think Baelish fancies himself as a clever man, and that was definitely deliberate. So just wanted to throw that out there. Love the show. 
guys are doing a great job. Looking forward to more. Thanks, Patrick. A great point. Hey, Patrick. Yeah, that was a good point, too. Hi, it's your friend Patrick again, and boy, I spoke too soon with my last message. I did not realize having my, my subscription ran out, as I said, I only got to watch half the episode. Didn't realize this is the one where um, Mr. Varys talks to Tyrion about power and shadows mm-hmm. on the wall and all that. And I just really wanted to point out about when Tyrion, when he says this, then Tyrion takes a long, oblivious sip from his wine as Varys. You only see the face for like a microsecond, but Varys gives this dirty, sly smile like... Yeah, I've got you in my... I mean, he's got him wrapped around his finger. Hmm. And he, Tyrion just doesn't realize. So, yeah, at this point at least, you can tell that he's definitely playing Tyrion. And another another point that's sort of tangentially related, uh, speaking of Pycelle, uh, have you seen the deleted scene between Pycelle and uh, Tywin? No. Where he reveals that he's not the blithering idiot that he pretends to be? And he what? Give where is that scene? About the poppies that grow the tallest are the ones that get cut down. And he basically saying that he doesn't want to stand out as somebody who has the ability to manipulate there's the payoff um yeah i I just felt that significant and there's sort of an analog to be drawn here uh between picel and varus interesting that um this episode sort of conflates varus littlefinger and picel together because yeah they're all sort of the same character to different degrees. And I believe that Varys is to the strongest degree that guy. Hmm. And I could go on for a very long time. He's lasted the longest, too. um, I'll just leave it at that. So, yeah. Again, love the show. Great job. I am going to go look for that deleted scene like as soon as we're (laughs) And, Patrick, I disagree with you about Varys, but we, we discussed that or I yelled at you last week, so <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna have to go back and look to see if we can find that sly look on Varys's face oh, too. Oh, I'm gonna do that too tonight. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that that scene between Pycelle and Tywin, I was unaware of that, and that's important too because that that's the payoff to the scene with him acting all limber. Yeah, after, I wonder why uh, that would be. Roz left. Uh, yeah. Deleted. Probably, maybe just because there was no bigger payoff, like it never ended up really going anywhere. So I watched the deleted scene, and it is pretty important because Pycelle coming clean to Tywin about how he's not really an old crotchety dude. I mean, he is old, but he's not super crotchety. That plays a part in Tywin putting him back on the small council, so that is pretty important for uh, the way his story plays out. Back to the show. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to find it, though, because that's really cool. I didn't know they existed. And it adds a little bit more to that sneaky dynamic of Pycelle, so I'm, I'm into that. That's really cool. Yeah. I love that. It's so exciting. exciting. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks, Patrick. Keep those voicemails coming. Yeah, he's got really good insight. Only if you're nice to us, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's our show. Episode 56. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, everybody. 
Next week, we'll be covering Season 2, Episode 5, The Ghost of Hall. Give it a watch and send us your thoughts. We'd love to read them on air. And don't forget that you can also leave us um, little notes and uh, ratings if you'd like, um, either on our Facebook page or our iTunes page. Uh, the more reviews and ratings that we get, the better we can be seen and more ears we can fill with Game of Thrones knowledge. Yes, we really appreciate any uh, reviews you guys would like to give us. Thank you. Thank you advance. for the reviews that we got this week, too. We got we got a couple. And, oh, we did? Uh-huh, well, I got a few notifications that said that we got um, some ratings and I think we got like one or two reviews. So thank you. That's great. Thank you very much. I, I forgot to check, but we'll, uh, we'll read them on air next week. Um, share them with everybody, too. If you'd like, you can always call us at 813-563-3739. That's 813-JOFFREY. Sadist. If you'd, like, <laughs> if you'd like to write in, you can email us. You can at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash gompodcast. That's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. The Lord of Light only wants you to work in the shadows. Shadows cannot live in the dark, Sir Davos. They are servants of light. <laughs> Merry Christmas! <laughs> Instead of placenta or water breaking, you get like this gaseous burst of black mist that comes out and like disperses throughout the air, and you can just see the horror on his face as he's like, What the fuck is happening? And these like gnarly, like clawing fingers come out and grab her legs as the shadow demon wrenches itself from her womb. Like, how insane is that? I'm the richest man in the world now, bitch. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. And every time you see him, you're just kind of like, hey, it's Buffalo Bill. Hey, it's Buffalo Bill. <laughs> he puts a fucking lotion on its skin or else it gets the mm -hmm. hose again. He puts a fucking lotion in the basket. Ooh. Ooh.